0: This is Writing Grief, a podcast for writers who want to transform loss into art. We are your hosts, Rachel Thompson and Melly Walker. We are writing our own grief stories, some of which are published, and others we've worked on for years. We believe we don't need to write grief alone, and finding other grief writers is magic.
1: Welcome grief writers to another episode
0: of the Writing Grief podcast. In this conversation, we talked about writing our worst moments. If you're writing grief, you probably have a moment or series of moments that are shocking, devastating, and full of loss and fear. This is where we mention content warnings for this episode, and we'll keep doing this so that listeners can make their own choices about listening when or if it's a good time to get curious in this specific way. So content warnings include mention of crisis moments like a child loss, a car accident, suicide, and medical assistance in dying, as well as ongoing traumas such as abuse, racism, and living in systems of white supremacy. We talk about how to write these so-called worst moments in a meaningful and responsible way. And one of the moments we talk about is part of Ellen's death story. Ellen was my partner's mother. And I'm a little nervous about sharing her story here since it's incredibly intimate. I hope that people can hear all the love and respect I have for her and her death. And I'm hoping that the people still alive who love Ellen will be okay with me talking about this moment in the context of my writing about it from my own perspective. How do you feel about this conversation now, Rachel? I'm once again, just really grateful for being
1: in conversation with you, Melly. And looking back, I think it was really therapeutic. You know, haha, a little aside to see our episode about whether or not writing is therapy. But it felt very therapeutic for me to feel so seen, even as I discuss in vague details my scene of the accident, my worst moment, literal accident that I'm writing about, but also figurative in the sense that it's currently the climax for my memoir in progress. Currently, my writing is I'm working on a related essay outside of the timeline of these worst moments, something really recent that interests me and it's sort of got my writing juices going a little bit and is a direction that I'm going to go into. I think I mentioned this last episode and I'll just mention again that taking a bit of a break from living with those worst moments is always really helpful and Of course, grief is always what I'm writing about. I am very much a grief writer, so it's not really a break from grief, but it's from being in the middle of the worst moments of my memoir and progress that I talk about in
0: this episode. How's your writing going, Millie? You know, we had this conversation months ago, but I've been thinking again about this idea of sharing a grief story responsibly with care and attention to the reader and the craft And just this week, I was sending little thank yous to my younger self for not sharing her story before she was ready. I'm beginning to let go of the judgment that she was too weak or afraid to do it before. There's timing for everything. And I'm grateful for mine. So I'm trying to move ahead with writing, revising things for publication without dread or regret that I'm somehow behind. I'm right on time. At least that's the appreciation I have for it today. Maybe tomorrow I'll go back to impatience and self-punishment, but today is okay. (laughs) That's lovely. I'm going to take that to heart too. This is our conversation
1: about writing our worst moments. Let's get into it.
0: Today we're talking about writing the worst moment, the kinds of tragedies and emotional experiences that... Might make it in our memoir, and this process of choosing what to include based on what the story is about, which is a whole thing, and figuring out and how to describe the worst moment and what happens if there's a bunch of worst moments. So, I think I thought of this because I find it difficult to go into those moments in the writing of it. I guess we should define worse moments. It's just a phrase that I've been using in my head to indicate things like death and divorce and ending serious relationships and friendships and losing a job. There are like these stressful events. I don't know if that needs more the to find. Of the of accident. The scene,
1: yes. Let's see, Orlin maybe will we'll refer to it. I'll continuously reference her book, Breathing the Page. But yeah, and mine, I'm going to talk about how I, these two worst moments and one of which is a literal accident. There's that exercise about being able to write the worst moment and to see if you're ready.
0: Thanks, Mary Carr, for the worst moment. So exactly like being ready to write it, knowing what it is. I think we have talked about recognizing the difference between memories that are processed and not processed and Trying to understand the difference potato, between potato, potato, <laughs> potato. Yeah, like what's therapy? What's journaling? We've touched on this stuff. So, assuming that we know what those worst moments are, and I feel like, yeah, like you say, I'm not the only one thinking of that. I feel like intuitively, if I were to say to someone, instead of making small talk, which is like what I would prefer to not do, I would want to say to someone, like, okay, what are your worst moments? who died let's hear them like it's not even that I'm expecting someone to like unearth something personal or intimate really it's just these are things that have happened to us and you can't undo them and when they're in your experience they're not a big deal I'm trying to figure out are we going to talk about the worst moments now sorry (laughs) I think I'm
1: Lost on the aside, craft or existential. I think it's both the same thing, right? Oh, yes. I
0: was trying to write this and I was like, am I just questioning the big moments of life? Are these just existential questions or are they the same thing? Sorry, I cut you off.
1: No, that's fine. I mean, I think it's interesting to think about that. I think they're both. I think in the context of my memoir, it kind of does illustrate how it's both craft and existential. Like for me... Early on in working on the outline and the draft of my memoir, I mean, certainly there is the existential moment, the moment that changed everything, that bifurcated my life, all those things, the terms I've used before about the stillbirth of my child. But I've also mentioned that there's this other layer that has to do more with like the meaning that I assign to that event. I mean, I don't think there are people who would come out of that completely unscathed I like to think maybe this is a fantasy but if you come from like a happy well adjusted family that maybe you wouldn't assign the same meanings anyway that I did to that event and feel and have the have it become such a significant moment but yeah. in the context of my memoir itself it's not the most significant moment cuz it feels like and I think maybe this is where it gets into craft it's like there isn't really, you know, in, craft, in writing narrative, when you turn ourselves into a character, and I know we'll talk about this more in another episode, but it's like a character has an objective. And then there's also like the obstacles getting in the way of the character from reaching that objective. And there's like villain, but in the most craft terms, like there's the villain and there's the protagonist. And that event itself, there isn't really a villain you know, the baby didn't do it. I didn't do it. The doctor, like, and nobody really did that. That just Mm. is something that happened. And that's Mm -hmm. like more of a Greek tragedy type of story, right? If I were to write just that. yeah. Yeah. And so that enter the other worst moment, which is something I'm using as kind of a stand-in for the dysfunction in my family, which is a car accident that involved all of us. It's a tough one for me to describe. It's super complicated. And maybe I won't even actually get into the details of the accident because it, for me, it's a few things. It's a story that I tell in a very rote kind of way and in, in which I'm constantly litigating my reality. So yeah, because the problem wasn't the accident itself, but more like the story around it, the gaslighting around it, who's to blame it was definitely like all these sort of things that were... Unearthed when again, actually, I mean, in a healthy family, again, I think that would be, and whatever this healthy family is, sorry, I I have, you know, I think if you come from such damaged stuff, you have this fantasy that there's this other healthy ideal out there. But anyway, I just think that in that case, I mean, there was ice on the road, everybody was in the ditch that day. So it wasn't like there was a person, nobody was intoxicated, nobody deliberately took action that caused that. So again, it's a little bit like we're back in Greek tragedy. This sort of fatal, Man, the hand of woman God reaches down and does something. God,
0: yeah, yeah. But what? for now, I have these two worst moments. Go Everyone ahead. was in the ditch that day. I like that line. I like what you're saying about telling it by rote. I mean, that's exactly part of it. If you want to be able to describe it in a way that conveys emotional meaning. And those kinds of worst experiences, you're like, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then da 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 da," and everyone was in the ditch that day. But I like that line. So I feel like I wanted to just note that, even though that gets you off track of what you were saying. But
1: yeah. I think contrary to what you're saying, I think it brings me back on track because, and maybe because I want to maybe hone in on the craft of it. So it's like the telling it by rote part, that's the thing that I'm, still currently actively trying to get out of mm-hmm. so that I can figure out if this accident may be the climax of my memoir. Mm-hmm. And if so, there's all of these choices that I'm making that still have to do with me saying it wasn't my fault and you know, arguing within the family argument about this particular event based on this accident. One of the reasons I want to use it is because it's really illuminating of, okay, this is how things work in a crisis in our family, like just coming from a very kind of picket fence family that's like, oh, everything's great and, you know, we're perfect. And then when something traumatic or difficult happens, this is how things really unravel and get escalate and really kind of stretch strange ways that i still feel like will work as the memoir climax and so that's why i keep persisting with it but again i'm kind of stuck in this where to contrast again like this stillbirth it's just kind of clearly you're going to be rooting for the protagonist unless you're a villain <laughs> you know the reader is going to be like oh i'm sorry that happened you know isn't that terrible or maybe at the worst kind of like Ugh, i don't want to hear about that that's Horrible, and I'm going to avoid it. But the other event that involves all these moving players bouncing around literally like billiard balls, it's harder for me to get a handle on it in terms of what am I trying to say? When should I start saying, like talking about it? All of those things.
0: That's interesting. I know we are going to talk about truth and the authorized version, but it is interesting too. It plays into this thing, like you're saying, if you have the basis of a family where you can't trust your intuition because everything you're noticing and sensing is not validated. It's not seen. And so you inherently don't trust your intuition. And then this big family story happens and everyone's going to have their own memory anyways, because that's how our brains work. But if there's already this like level of, no, we deny your reality, Now you're trying to write a story about this real common experience of people denying other people's reality because it's too scary. And so it's like a double layer of getting past the thing that you have felt unseen about just being able to trust your intuition. And I can see how if I was reading the story and I understood the players, I understood all the characters, so to speak, all the billiard balls, that happening at a peak moment I would be like, oh, yeah, like I can see how that would have that moment of like things falling into place and that feeling of being a reader and being like, oh, I know what this is about. You have been given just the right amount of information to feel like you discovered the story, even though it's all being laid out. It is kind of hard
1: to find an event, like one specific moment that Mm -hmm. illustrates the kind of thing that happens over many years so that all that gaslighting and denying like you said like thank you for seeing me in that in terms of like my reality and I know you have something to say about that too about how sticking your grief in a particular moment in time an event is challenging.
0: I definitely have two deaths in the memoir I'm trying to write about and those are significant moments they're both Particular ways to die, even though I wasn't really there for my dad's death. But yeah, I'm an inheritor of trauma. So where does it even begin? What generation can we source this to? Where's the I'm not the sole cause of this? And so even from the beginning, I, especially with my father's abuse, his abuse of me and his behavior and his mental illness affected everybody. And so, yeah, I don't know how to explain that insidious undertone of, of horror, of not being able to trust yourself. And I also have the before and after dividing experience of becoming majorly depressed. So I would always have 2007. This was the year my dad died. I was diagnosed with depression. They put me on the pills, blah, blah, blah. So many years after that, trying to navigate mental health stuff, which I now see was about trauma that I didn't remember. So I didn't remember my early childhood trauma. And even the act of remembering it is in itself a long, worst moment. The way that that information came up to the surface as a knowing that I still don't believe, speaking of not believing yourself or not feeling authorized, there's nothing really scenic or cinematic about remembering slowly over time. How do you? It's not a like, and then I remembered and then I knew. I mean, there's actually one, but it also involves another family member story that isn't mine to tell. So it becomes tricky that way. But anyways, deciding how to articulate that and like you say, feeling so sure, which of course it's true that your early life and the dynamics that you have in your family set you up for a particular way of reacting to the world. Like, you can't take the glasses off. It's hard anyways to switch that. And then where in the story does something like that go? For me, chronologically, remembering early childhood abuse didn't come until after depression and after my dad died. And so he was already gone. So I had no one. It's almost like a non-climax. It's all out of order. And so then I get bogged down by structure. And then I get annoyed. If only I had one neat and tidy, dramatic moment, which of course, I mean, I don't love that about myself, but.
1: And I get annoyed in a different way, which is annoyed at these conventions of structure that somehow we have to wrap it in a difficult moment. And yeah, feels like that's very much, I want to say patriarchal, which I guess it is, like the idea of the of the story structure, the climax, the denouement, all that stuff, and going, you know, I'm definitely really excited more and more by writing that doesn't do that. And also by the idea, too, is, like, something I've been really honing in on even just this week is, like, that the structure will emerge based on the story versus the other way around, trying to fit the story into a structure.
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to have a three-act Hollywood movie. That's not what it is. I guess it is about trusting that you are sleuthing out the story and the structure comes and even going into a moment like that. How long do you spend in a worst moment? There's practical decisions to make. We don't have the page count for that or those kinds of things come into my mind as concerns I will have to deal with, whereas, okay, let's write it again. Let's try to like undo the rote version. Let's try to write in between the commas as Betsy Worland would say.
1: Yeah. And going, we have those tools of compression and time for sure. So I think there may be things that span years that are going to be told in a page and yeah. things one moment that for me, that's seen in the accident, I think is very much going to be it is kind of my like hollywood climax in some ways so yeah play that out but scene by scene i think i mean in the current drafting that's what it is there's something about writing through it there's the evaluation part of our heads too though that's like saying oh this isn't worthy of these kind of pages and stuff (laughs) and i think that that has to just be felt
0: Right. And that's all part of also my thing about telling myself I'm being melodramatic or, oh, don't go into it too much. Even using good intentions, like values that I have. I don't want to re-traumatize the reader. I don't want to re-traumatize myself. I don't want to overshare. I don't want to overstep as though there won't be thousands of opportunities to reassess what I want to share in the long run in all the revisions, blah, 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 and using other people to avoid doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is working it out with myself, working it out with the writing. So, I mean, even in my making fun of myself, I'm like, punishing myself and criticizing myself it's like the layers of it but there is worth in like in terms of the final product like I said before a car accident scene that's also the thing you don't want it to be cliche you want to say okay we all know what a car accident is I see snowy days everyone was in the ditch that day but how do you Un box it in a way and use those images it relies on all the work that you've done up into that moment to make it make sense for the reader or the intended reader i took a workshop with Allison K Williams and she asked us to write a telling image or a telling moment and it made me think the car accident in terms of having the context to know why it's so telling right like the liar's club starts out with the narrator Her as a child pulling a hot pan off the stove. She burns herself instantly. We understand this is a household of neglect. This is a feisty child. There's things that we immediately see from those scenic moments. And I'm sure there's other great examples, but it immediately sprung to mind in terms of memoir. And I actually haven't read The Liars Club. Does that stove burning
1: come back again? Or that's just sort of like, here's where we are in stove burning territory.
0: To be honest, I can't fully remember. It feels like the kind of thing where it opens with that. How did these circumstances occur? It's pretty much all about her childhood. So I don't know if that moment returns. I ask
1: because that is a fairly common structure where you start in the worst moment and then rewind time and Mm -hmm. then go forward from a certain point in time to the worst moment so that the worst moment is first of all just usually just something is kind of horrific intense somehow
0: well and you it's, know like it's supposed to be part of the hook
1: yeah exactly but then there's greater understanding of that worst moment the one right. that comes to mind in terms of understanding the structure of memoir is that super famous memoir that everybody hikes the trail in the U.S. because they've read it. Oh, Wild. <laughs> what is it called again? Cheryl Street. Wild, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I'll use that as an example because a lot of people do know that memoir, even though I seem to have forgotten its name, where, you know, she's throwing her boot at yes. the beginning because she's worn through her boot. Yes. And that's where we start. But then we go back to like, okay, what happened that made her go on this journey? And then we get to that worst moment. Yeah. And that's kind of funny because the worst moment is a little bit diminished because she has these other boots that she's ordered at some point. So anyway, you kind <laughs> of know that there's another boot coming up on the way. But um,
0: oh, that's hilarious.
1: Yeah, but I, think I mean, it's <laughs> a common structure. It's just
0: like start in this kind of real intense thing yeah. and then get to know why. Exactly. Like that moment has to grow if it's going to return to that. It has to grow. It has to take on more meaning. Again, I guess we write memoir. Because we're making meaning out of these sometimes usually horrid human experiences. And often the story is the impact of it. Cheryl Strayed, all the things she did after her mother died to deal with the grief. Those are really significant in the story. The boot, personally, it's not my memory of the story. But the book has the boot on the cover. I'm picturing Reese Witherspoon wearing the boots. But anyways. At the time you get to that worst moment, it isn't as important
1: somehow. It's more the journey. The impact. Into cliche territory. It's
0: the journey versus the destination. But The destination is a device somehow. The impact, we know just grief reverberates for years it is a winding various re- terrain different elevation whatever the metaphor but the fact that it changes over time and you have a different sense of meaning and if that's not conveyed i think it's hard to understand what you're supposed to take from the story when you did that
1: workshop with alison k williams what was the moment that
0: you came up with oh thank you for asking i wrote about how, right before Ellen died, the evening she's about to die, all the people are in her bedroom surrounding her bed, and she's got a cup of whiskey and she hasn't drank in years. She Stopped drinking, but she was about to die. She had this cup of whiskey. Some people drank from it as well, but then she clung to it and didn't want to pass it around. Everyone laughed. She took a sip and someone said, oh, is it as good as you remember? She was like, yes. And it was just the most tragic, but happy, joyous, complicated moment that she had this good death. To me, it means a lot. We need these prompts sometimes to remember those moments. I hadn't remembered to write about that moment. And so it's funny that a prompt helped me remember that, which is really important to the story for me, that she did have a good death. That's essential to the meaning-making I'm doing. I also think about how sometimes you don't remember them. I mean, we don't need to get into the fallibility of memory and truth and all that stuff. I've got to go. Okay, well, I don't really remember. My dad died. My brother called me. Always oh, in the hospital. He was in the hospital for a couple of days after he killed himself. That's how I say it, but I don't say committed suicide because it's not a crime. I say died by suicide, but I'm trying not to be too gruesome. See, I'm screening myself. But my brother told me I was in a parking lot. I was pulled over. I went home from work. I sat in the basement by myself. It looks like nothing. It looks like someone in shock. And then it looks like a daughter sitting in a basement while her dad is on life support and a bunch of other family members are surrounding his bed and saying goodbye to him. And I wasn't even there. So then I went to his funeral. Okay, that's a bad moment, but it's not like the worst moment. And then, yeah, just the whole thing your body does to keep you safe, which is to dissociate and to protect you from the terror of it. And so sometimes I don't remember things. Anyways, it's hard not to touch on all the dissociation and every topic that we talk about. As you say that, I'm thinking
1: that's also why it's hard for me to write the scene of the accident. I see myself... Floating above the snow, just watching it from a bird's eye. Like I literally just leave my body in those situations mm-hmm. and it's not the car accident. It's actually the way my family behaved. I have people screaming at me, like patterns falling into. I wasn't driving the car, by the way. see here, I'm litigating again. <laughs> it's like people screaming at me. I wasn't driving the car. I'm not there. I'm floating above the scene, watching it. It's an Interesting thing around dissociation too, because I appreciate that when it's in books too, where you kind of are like, oh, I recognize that. And the writer is writing from that perch high up in the sky. And so, you know, I guess we can't write the whole book from that position or maybe, maybe we can, I don't know, but Mm. I'm thinking about where to, to do that. That's a place where I think I have to kind of also spend that moment up there at least to just talk about how it felt
0: in the body. That is part of the memory for you. So that is part of the emotional experience. Yeah. And, and, uh, but when you talk about, sorry, I was just like, yes, ending mm-hmm.
1: your moment there about the disassociation. But I also think there's something really pivotal about that. It was like being in a parking lot. And I don't think that's not writerly like, I think there's something in there. It doesn't always have to be all action. And, mm-hmm. you know, another book we've referenced before, in thinking just the last episode too, is Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking. And I think a lot of that book is about that, those quiet moments of just sort of staring at the closet mm-hmm. but what's happening inside. is like, oh, I'm not going to get rid of his clothes. He's coming back. And I don't know, yeah. that's making me tear up just to think about you sitting at home Alone too, and feeling just all the things you'd be feeling in, in that moment. And I don't think your reader is going to be like, but where's the action in that moment? I think it is really that is about that lonely place of yeah. being estranged and losing in that complicated grief of losing someone like that.
0: Yes, thank you for pointing that out. Because I do separate from that self that was sitting in that basement, even though was not doing anything, but I do have to remember to have compassion for myself in that moment because well especially cuz I intend to write about it but also cuz I'd like to live in some semblance of peace in my life but yeah I guess it is a telling moment because I wasn't there and one of the things I would like to be able to describe is what it's like to walk around and go about your day when you know, my dad died, but I didn't have him in my life, so my life didn't change. So it's not like the regular experience where you can be like, oh, I'm really sad because my dad died. It's like, I didn't want to say that because people feel sorry for you. Now you have to describe, oh, well, I didn't see him. Well, when I've seen him for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. It's like a whole thing that you don't want to get into. Or even when Ellen had planned to die, which was a very powerful choice to end her pain and to go in peace. And I was happy that I was part of it. That sounds weird. But knowing for whatever it was, two months, walking around being like, okay, so at the end of January, I know when someone's going to die. And to not bring that up in regular life, it's a very odd experience. And it definitely contributes to the grief that I've experienced where it's like private and not supported by social mores, people bringing you casseroles and shit. That was not people with cancer. Like people know what to do. It's like, oh, okay, yes, we know what to do here. There isn't really a very good protocol for death in general. I'm not saying, ooh, if only it had been like, I don't know, like a heart attack or something. I'm not. (laughs) It's a particular experience that I'd like to describe. So going back to the me in the basement is interesting to bring that in and make that more, I don't know, worthwhile as something to write about.
1: Yeah, it requires a lot of self-compassion because it's character you and your, that feels like the challenge. I think it's also why we connected is like this experience of disenfranchised grief. I'm sure it's also terrible for cancer survivors or people who are going through cancer treatment. People don't, I'm sure have no clue how to talk to them, but there is more of, I don't want to make the comparison words around it, but just like this disenfranchised grief is the experience of having something to grieve, but it's like complicated to explain and what does it mean exactly? And like, you know, the baby loss is like that too, because people are like, well, you have healthy kids like just
0: get over it kind of mm-hmm. thing that's sort of the part well and I it's tied those two things together so tightly but anyway <laughs> well but this is the thing you don't want to start having a rating system for who has had the worst shit happen to them that's of course not humane and not important to writing memoir at all because I've read great memoirs where I would say the so-called I mean the worst things were not I don't know. It's, it's, see, I can't even describe it without starting to feel like I'm getting into this competitive power structural patriarchy, worst, I mean, even worse. Trauma yeah, Olympics. Yeah, exactly. But it is a particular experience. So it is worthwhile to explain a particular experience of grief and to convey that meaning making that that we have done without it taking away from something as terrible as cancer. I mean, my friend's dad is dying of cancer right now. I I certainly understand how difficult that's going to be and is for him. And I will welcome him to the dead dad's club. I joke, but it's horrible, right? It actually is. (laughs) Again, just socially, it's someone says, well, I have dead parents and then you feel immediately bonded to them. But then if their death is different than your death, it's like there's all these ways that we end up feeling separated from each other when really grief is all over the place.
1: It's so all over the place because I think you know, people can experience the same traumas and just have totally different reactions to it too. So
0: we probably have people listening who are writing about ongoing trauma, racism, and living in a white supremacist world or people that are in violent homes or people that have sustained and continue to sustain difficult and oppressive abusive situations that is worthwhile to describe. And yeah, I just, I want to recognize that as well.
1: Yeah. I think the way you put it to me before is like, there's no worst moment. What if the trauma pain happened over time? Like this ongoing trauma with systemic racism And there may not be a single event. And that's, again, I think where I kind of get annoyed and rage a bit about the idea that our lives have to fit into a very specific formula in writing. And I think maybe that's part of what, in writing this memoir, I'm trying to kind of unlearn those ideas that we have to tell it in a specific way. I would love for there to be more space to tell other stories that don't have to follow these formulas.
0: Yes. It's just as important to say this happened to me. This is happening to me. This is how it's affecting me. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't really want to enforce any sense of tidiness or expectations that are disrespectful to someone's humanity, basically. It sometimes feels like we we have these topics. And I mean, it is worthwhile to discuss how to talk about death in the worst moment, but basically undoing the idea of it at the same time. That's true. We're doing and undoing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and then also what you're saying, I'm learning as you're writing this thing. I mean, I feel like that too. I don't want to be a good white girl. I don't want to be a colonizer who looks away. I don't want to try to compete. I don't want to continue any of these cycles. That feels like my responsibility, and I gladly take it, to not repeat these cycles. And just because I write about the cycle (laughs) doesn't mean I have stopped or paused or changed the cycle. Throughout this conversation, we have talked about meaning making. And yeah, it's just a good reminder that that is essentially what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's what all people do, I think. I know there's the classic Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Five Stages of Grief and she never actually prescribed that that would happen in any order or that they would happen one at a time and that the pop culture references to it make it seem a lot more linear. It's interesting to listen to David Kessler, who trained under Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and he has a book about finding meaning. And he just stressed that her theories or her way of talking about it was never meant to be linear And the context of her qualitative research in the context of people who are in palliative care, people who are dying, coming to terms with their own death. I feel like I can make meaning out of my dad's death because he died essentially of depression. I have depression. It's something I've inherited. The meaning I take from his death is that I don't want to be a third generation to die by suicide. I want to find vitality and and I want to stay alive. And I want to obviously not have my illness or other people's mental health stigmatized and other people's way of dying stigmatized. And there's a lot more I could say about the meaning of things, but just as an example. Yeah,
1: we're making meaning. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think even though I'm bringing a literal accident in. I think what was important about it was that moment was it really helped me make sense of a lot of history in my family. It was like this illustration. It was very dramatic in all these ways that did feel almost melodramatic, but it was like this microcosm of how this family operates and all the systems that are moving And how my body reacted to it too was part of it and reaching out, like looking outside the family for help from strangers. (laughs) So many strangers helped us that day and my family was incapable of helping themselves. But yeah, so I think all of that has to do with meaning exactly of me kind of trying to understand even just like what I'm trying to write in this sort of, circular way where it's like the snake eating its own tail but it's like why am I writing this okay this scene is why I'm writing this because this understanding I came to in this moment and this is what
0: everything else is about too is about yes. this moment yes and the moment with Ellen and the fact that I was at her bedside I was there in the room I wasn't sitting in the basement alone we laughed I mean it just it's such a transformative experience you almost can't make it up it's almost like wow okay 10 years later you just do a redo and it's brilliant and dying is horrible and beautiful yeah i feel like we could wind what it are up there.
1: Conclusions? <laughs> what have we what have we discovered about <laughs> part of the conclusion i guess is the idea that it is about finding meaning in those moments for us
0: yeah and that there's a lot of different activities and practical ways to find out how to describe these big moments and ultimately prompts are great and process is important, but it's also about believing in the meaning that you've made and making it as you go along in the writing too, being open to having new meaning illuminated, giving, you know. So much of it is about discovery Mm -hmm. through the writing. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And like you said, even remembering those moments, like that prompt that helped you remember that cup. Yeah. The cup of whiskey. Do we want to give an assignment for our listeners around the worst moment?
0: It's hard because I don't want to say, the obvious, right, your worst moment, or what's the coma story? That's an assignment that someone needs to work through at their own timing, and I'm glad that there are books that talk about these things. I could read them all day. I've mentioned this before. I love to read books about writing instead of doing the writing. So (laughs) I can't think of an assignment. I just feel like it's more of a keep going in general assignment. I guess I'm meaning myself too. I guess I need to hear that myself. So thinking about other people in the process of writing these kind of moments and fitting them in and figuring out where they go and understanding that we don't have to follow a specific structure.
1: We don't have to go through grief in a linear way. We and that finding meaning not. is so natural too. It's totally what we're doing. Certainly, I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing, and I just feel like that's the right thing I should be doing. So, yeah, yeah. I'll keep going because there's something very innate about wanting to understand through our writing.
0: Yeah, what a beautiful privilege. Yeah. Our prompt for you is to keep going with your meaning making. We know your story matters. Why does it matter to you? When you think about your worst moments, the ones you're willing to write about, what do they mean to you? How has distance, time, and writing helped you to make meaning? Is this meaning something that other humans need to know? Does the pain you've transmuted into meaning have something to show the culture? You are the best person to answer these questions. And lastly, remember, you don't have to write or ever share your writing about your worst Moments in order to be a good writer.
1: Thank you for listening to Writing Grief. Keep writing in your own time
0: and in your own way. Thank you for opening your writing heart to the Writing Grief podcast, created and produced by us, Rachel Thompson and Melly Walker. Visit writinggrief.com for detailed show notes on each episode. We try to
1: link to every book or reference we make in this episode, even if it's just made in passing. If there's something we missed or you want to know more about, you can contact us on our website, writinggrief.com, or at podcast at writinggrief.com. Sound editing by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. Our podcast art was created by the talented Monica Calderon. Find her at monicadesigns.ca.
0: We support Indigenous sovereignty worldwide, and we acknowledge the lands and the first peoples of those lands on which we report our podcast.
1: Our writing practice takes place and benefits from... The unceded territories of the Kenyan Kahaka and the Anishinaabeg peoples in the place colonially known as Montreal, Quebec, and the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam Nations in so-called Greater Vancouver, and of the lands of the El Tirbin Bedouin in
0: South Sinai, Egypt. If you're a non-Indigenous listener, we encourage you to learn about the land and the Indigenous peoples whose territories you write from. Where were the trees you read in as a child? What is the history of the lands that helped you grow into the writer you are today? Who are the people who care for that land now and in the past? This may take some research on sites like native-land.ca. Thanks again for listening to Writing Grief.